the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Wait a minute. Wait, wait just a minute. Can it be Saturday? Yeah, it can be Saturday. Can it be Saturday all day? Yes, please. Can it please be Saturday all day? It, it can, it is, and uh, this is Piero Pelka. This is the kickoff of Saturday's live radio adventure on the Blaze Radio Network. I am pleased to be the first toe in the water. I, I love that. I've always had this predilection, this desire to kick off everything I'm involved in. For example, when I play golf, there's nothing better than being the first person or the first group off the tee in the morning. There's nothing better. When you ski, I used to love nothing better than to be the first person down the slope in the morning, to be the first set of tracks cutting through the snow. I know, I know. It's, it's, I'm sure it says something about me. But uh, I, I love being the, the lead-in on today's program, followed by, of course, the gifted, the talented, the wonderful Jeff Fisher. And Jeffy will be here right after this show. We will say some things to mock and cajole Jeffy right up until his show starts. So that's part of it. Uh, I, I've got uh, a weird buffet today. I, w- I was looking at the stories I had lined up at about 4.30 this morning, and I'm scratching my head going, this is like walking into a brunch buffet and seeing pizza slices and sushi next to the carrot cake. It just didn't make any sense. And yet, that may be the answer. That may be the overriding statement. It just doesn't make any sense. Today, today there's so much that just doesn't make any sense. And I have firm reliance on the man upstairs that eventually it will all come together and make sense. I'm just saying. Yeah, we're keeping an eye on everything overseas. Uh, Things are going on as planned in Hamburg. Uh, Thank God the New York City mayor has ditched a morning city after a cop was assassinated to go hang out with the protesters. Thank God Bill de Blasio... By the way, de Blasio translates into douchebag. I'm just saying. I checked it. That's actually the origin of the name de Blasio. The fact that a family of a New York City officer, a mother, and the entire ranks of the NYPD is in mourning, and this idiot is over in in Europe. It's all about 2020 for Bill de Blasio. He thinks he's headed to a bigger stage. He sees the Democratic Party in disrepair and and totally confused as to where it's going. And he saw what Bernie Sanders did with his progressive socialist leanings in the last election. And de Blasio thinks he can rally that support. So trust me, that's what's going on in his head. A lot to talk about today, just a whole bunch to talk about today. And some of it has no basis on today. It might have a historical context. It might have, 
It might have some projected future lesson hidden within it, but there is, uh, there's no way to look at today and go, well, that makes sense, and that flows into that. Yeah, sure, go ahead and do that. So I'm just going to dive in, and I welcome you to join in my madness today. I welcome you to join in my lack of coherent direction. Hopefully coherent thoughts will exist within the segments, but the direction, the things, the places I'm going may not exactly follow, flow logically from one to the next. Uh, So I feel it incumbent upon me to warn you about that. So just just enjoy the ride. But again, you can join the conversation at 888-900-3393-888-900-3393. Corby's pushing buttons in Dallas. Martin's on the phones. We will uh, all solve it together. Now, the last couple days here in, in the great state of Delaware, the tiny state of Delaware, have been hot and humid. There's no other way around it. Hot and humid. And this morning I got up and uh, headed to my little studio in the woods of Arden, Delaware. And there was a noticeable change in temperature, a slight dip in humidity. It was actually in the 60s when I got up and went out the door this morning. The last three days it's been in the 70s and in some cases the upper 70s. Very uncomfortable. Days that would make me say, Oh no, global warming is happening. I must do something. I must hurry up and buy a Tesla before the world melts down. Well, on the subject of this, I am am trying to figure out if I'm crazy or not when when I appear to have unmasked more fake news from CNN. And here's what I'm talking about. CNN has spent, oh gosh, untold time on the story of, of the, um, the Larson ice shelf. Are you familiar with the Larson ice shelf? The Larson ice shelf is um, a long, long ar- Arctic chunk of ice in the northwest part of the Weddell Sea that extends from the east coast of the I'm sorry, Antarctic, not Arctic, Antarctic Peninsula. It's big, named for Captain Carl Larsen, who, uh, who's a, a, a Norwegian legend on the high seas. They discovered this area, this ice, back in the uh, late 1800s, 1893 to be exact. And so they called this the Larsen, Larsen Ice Shelf. And... Um, We've been talking about the Larson Ice Shelf breaking up and, and chipping off uh, glacier-sized or gigantic-sized icebergs since the 1990s. And th- so we have set up, we being the world, has set up cameras and observation posts on the Larson Ice Shelf since uh, the early part of this century. And it produces some pretty dramatic footage when you see a chunk of ice the size of a small state break off and become an iceberg. I believe they call it calving, like giving birth to a calf. 
Now, there's a giant chunk of the Larson ice shelf that is uh, just about to chip off. The size of the uh, Larson ice shelf is so big, it's as big as, if not slightly bigger, than the state of Delaware from, from which I am broadcasting this morning. They've been watching this crack in the, in the Larson ice shelf for weeks and weeks and weeks now. Somewhere between seven and nine miles long, this, this crack. And they figure if it snaps off, if it snaps off, which they think it will because it's, the crack uh, is accelerating, and they're going to call this the Larson Sea Iceberg, that it's going to then uh, go adrift in the Antarctic. And every bit of reporting I'm hearing from CNN about this gigantic slice of the Larson ice shelf that's going to chip off, they keep talking about it. It holds the same amount of water as Lake Michigan. And I'm like, okay, that's a bunch of water. I lived in Chicago. I've stood on the banks of Lake Michigan. I've been in the waters of Lake Michigan and marveled at the size of it. And then I started thinking, you know, what would it do? Because, you know, that's the, the thing we always hear from people is that once, once the, the global warming is engaged to the point where we can't stop it, the icebergs will melt, the seas will rise, and we'll all drown like the dinosaurs died after the, the earth was hit by meteors. That we're all going to drown, or we'll all be gathered on some mountaintop somewhere, huddled together, the seven billion of us on the planet, fighting for food and space, and uh, it's, it's kooky talk, I know. So I started wondering, but something the size of the state of Delaware... A giant ice cube the size of the state of Delaware? What happens if that breaks off into the ocean? What does that do? Does it force the waters to rise suddenly? Well, isn't that ice already technically in the ocean? You're just kind of relocating it? Isn't? Isn't that giant chunk of ice currently sitting in the Antarctic Ocean? It's just now being broken off? Yeah, I, I think that's the reality here. And if someone's a, 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 an oceanographic scientist, uh, somebody can clarify this further, please tell me I'm wrong. But it seems to me that, first of all, all this, all this panic, all this drama over this calving of a giant chunk of ice, yeah, it's pretty spectacular to see something the size of a state get cracked off of a giant piece of ice and then slide into the water. But to talk about how much water it holds, to talk about the fact that, that this, this piece of ice chipping away from the Larson ice shelf, it holds the same amount of water as Lake Michigan. Does that mean if we were capable, if Superman were here and Superman could scoop up the ice and drop it in Lake Michigan, Lake Michigan would be twice, twice the size it is now and it would overflow its banks? Well, maybe. I liken it to putting a, an ice cube in a drink that's pretty much full already. Well, what if we took it and we dropped it 
Oh, I don't know, out west in uh, an area where a, a lake has shrunken in size over the years. What if we put it somewhere that needed water? What if we put it in, in sub-Saharan Africa or in the Sahara? What if we created this new oasis from this, this giant chunk of ice? What, would that create another great lake? Uh, we need to talk about that. There's some more on this. And I wondered the effects of this, because that's the, one of the things we always hear is, it's going to melt, it's going to melt, it's going to melt, it's going to raise the seas and flood us all out. How much water does Lake Michigan hold, and how much water do the oceans of the world hold? We'll investigate. We'll tell you the real story next on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka. So the discussion today, the discussion began this morning about the Larson ice shelf and a giant piece of ice. Hey man, look at that piece of ice. That piece of ice that's about to break off. And the environmentalists are sounding the alarm bells. This is terrible. This is the end of the world as we know it. It's the size of the state of Delaware. It could, it could signal the end of times. Yeah, this giant iceberg that is going to crack off pretty soon. It'll, we should be able to watch this. It'll be very cool to watch. And there will be myriad videos with hand-wringing attached with tearful narrations about the coming end times. We live on a planet that is covered 72% with water in various forms. Salt water, fresh water. 97% of that 72%, 97% of that 72% is ocean water. So we do have a considerable amount of ocean water on the planet. And according to LiveScience.com, the people that give us uh, numbers on such things, people who are much smarter than I. There is 1.33 billion cubic kilometers of water on the planet. Well, let's break it down to cubic miles. I don't like the metric. I know. I'm I'm a Neanderthal. There is existing today roughly 326 million cubic miles of water. And that's uh, according to some people who know about stuff like this. The U.S. Geological Survey has given us that estimation. 326 million cubic miles of water. Hmm, that's a lot of water, right? A whole bunch of water. 
Now, if, if the water in the Great Lake Michigan were suddenly added to the oceans of the world, would that force the oceans of the world to suddenly lap up over the banks that we see now? Would that force Miami to suddenly be three feet underwater? What would that do to the people living along uh, Malibu and the coasts of California? Would San Diego suddenly find its harbor underwater? What would happen? Well, I, I certainly think it would be uh, a good thing for anybody who's in the boating business, if that's the effect it would have. But I have to tell you, I've done the math, or at least the little machine inside my smartphone has done the math. And if you were to drop Lake Michigan into the oceans of the world, what would it do? Well, it wouldn't have that big of an effect, you see. Because Lake Michigan is 1,180 cubic miles of water. 1,180 cubic miles of water. The planet, according to estimates, according to estimates by the United States Geological Survey, is 326 million cubic miles of water. So if you are standing there with 326 million dollars and you're next to a person who has $1,180 and that person gave you their money, how much... How much does that affect your wealth? What kind of an increase in your wealth would it be? What kind of, see where I'm going here, right? If I have $326 million and someone hands me $1,180, I'm happy for the increase. Thanks very much for the money. However, here's the reality. That Increase represents point zero 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 three six percent of an increase. Now, what do you? Th it's a tear in the salted seas of the earth. If we are to drop Lake Michigan, an, an iceberg, off of Antarctica into the ocean. So for anyone who's worried that this, this calving of this gigantic iceberg is going to suddenly cause the seas to rise and flood the streets in Miami and force people to seek higher ground in Galveston, Texas, and possibly force small islands in Tonga to be overrun with water. No. No. Point zero, 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 zero. 369 percentage increase. Now, there is a danger. There is a danger with this gigantic iceberg falling off. And I'll explain it to you because th there is a danger, but it's something we can deal with. I'll explain next on Pure Opelka.
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. By the way, it is Saturday morning. It's the bottom of the first hour. I've checked the world. The world did not blow up. There's some interesting takes on what's happening between Hamburg, Germany, the G20, Russia, and then North Korea, and eventually China. Some very interesting takes, and we'll get into that. But seriously, the the world's still here. Unless you're CNN, and then you're thinking, my God, my God, there's a giant iceberg about to melt, break off, and flood the planet. Oh, no, we're all going to die. And I started looking at the story and looking deeper into the story, the Larson Ice Shelf, and this giant chunk of ice, which, yes is the size of the state of Delaware in area. And according to estimates, it's also got the same amount of water as Lake Michigan, one of the Great Lakes. And uh, 1,180 cubic miles of water is the estimate. Now, that's a lot of water. But it literally is a tear in the salted sea of 326 million miles of water on the face of the earth. 326 million miles versus uh, 1,180. Do the comparison. When, when I think of icebergs, too, I, I also think, well, they don't, they don't chop off from the mother ice and then suddenly melt no, it takes time. That's why you have icebergs floating around the ocean. And the, the bigger the piece of ice, the longer it takes to melt, obviously. The, the cold of the gigantic chunk of ice allows it to retain some of its original size for a greater period than if it, if it had been shaved ice thrown into the ocean, which would melt almost instantly. So... I don't I don't think uh I don't think we have any great worry about suddenly the waters rising to the point where we're all fighting for the top of a high rise in Miami or or the top of a hill in San Diego out west. We should be aware of what the heck's going on. Why not? But if it's if it's not going to have the dramatic effect then then we should all just calm down a little bit. I don't agree with the panic over climate change, nor do I agree with the fact that we, man, are the sole answer or the sole cause of what's happening in the climate. Do we affect climate change? Yeah, I think it's smart for us to be good stewards of the planet. I think it's important, imperative of us, not to make a mess in our own backyard. Even the people who are thrown out on those islands on shows like Survivor know that the first thing they have to do when they set up camp is to agree to where their, where their garbage is going to go. 
Where are you going to put all that garbage? And where are you going to put all that human waste? So it's just a normal thing to be concerned about it, but to be obsessed about it to the point where so many in the left are. It's, it's, uh, it's kooky. And it's also not being honest. And I give you another example. Oh, oh I, I did say before the break, I was going to talk about the other danger of this, uh, of this chunk falling off the Larson ice shelf. Well, when it falls off, when that chunk of ice falls off, it, it slides into an area that is known for shipping. And so there's the danger, is uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of shipping lanes will now have to be attuned to watching whatever's going on with, um, with this giant chunk of ice. But I would figure you could spot an iceberg from a long ways away. And I'm sure they must have some kind of sonar technology that alerts them or satellite imagery, satellite tracking that says, okay, keep your eyes on this. So we are, we are hoping, we're hoping that cooler heads will prevail. But as we hope that cooler heads will prevail, then we come upon Bill Nye, the guy. Bill Nye was on with Tucker Carlson recently and uh, talking about climate change. Uh, Bill Nye can't really, can't really answer simple questions on climate change. And I, I'm dubious of Bill Nye anyway. I looked at you know his show that's on Netflix, Bill Nye Saves the Earth or whatever the hell it's called. One of the people he's hired is um, a comedian. So the writers he's hiring are, are comedians. That uh, Arguello was her name, the woman who uh, talked about doing horrible things to the president and then suddenly decided to delete her, her tweet, but we called her on it. But so he's hired comedians to write his show. And you know about the song he had in the first episode that was so disgusting. But Bill Nye, the not-so-science guy, was talking to Tucker Carlson about climate change. And Tucker had, I thought, a very good question that Bill Nye, the not-so-science guy, could not answer. To what degree is climate change caused by human activity? Is 100% of climate change is caused by human activity? Is it 74.3%? It's settled science. Please tell us to what degree human no, so, activity... So that's a great question, right? The, the line is always, it's settled science. All of you science deniers, it's settled science. Man is causing climate change. But Tucker gives Bill Nye some room here and says, to what degree? Bill Nye can't answer. Sure. Uh, so the word degree is a word that you chose. But the speed that climate change is happening is caused by humans. Instead of happening on timescales of right. millions of years, or let's say 15,000 years, it's happening on a timescale of decades, and now years. Now, you know, I offered... Uh, wait, 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 but hold on, hold on. But to, no, what, no. I mean, to, to what extent is human activity responsible for speeding that up? I mean, please be 100%. more precise If that's the number you want. Being. Humans are so causing it to happen changed. catastrophically fast. 
Okay, so at what rate would it have changed without human activity? And well, you, you look annoyed order... that I'm asking these questions, but they're very basic questions. They're okay, not denial. So... Without human activity, how long would it have taken for us to reach this level of warmth in our climate? Uh, it's not clear that it would have happened. In other words, humans have changed the climate so drastically that we have almost certainly avoided it... another ice age. There would have been another ice age. Ain't going to happen because of you and me. So uh, the sooner we get and to we work know on that this problem, when, the problem. When would it have happened? When would the next ice age have happened? Yeah. Is that I'm your saying, question? Without I human activity, what would, the, what would the process... Look, here's the point that I... Bill Nye says, I claim that's irrelevant. Now, here's, here's part of the problem with Bill Nye, the not-so-scientific guy. Bill Nye's saying, I claim that's irrelevant, talking about the next ice age and when it would have happened... That's Tucker Carlson's question. The, the, the problem with Bill Nye claiming that's irrelevant is that he's the one who brought it up. He's the one who said, but for human activity, we would have been in the middle of another ice age. So all Tucker Carlson says or wants to know is when would that have been, sir? When would that ice age have been? Now, uh, as a child of the of the 1960s, I can tell you growing up, there was a time when we were all told there's an ice age coming. We better get ready for it. We're never going to be warm again. So was it the 60s? Is that when it happened? You think somebody would have briefed Bill Nye on this, but he's he's claiming that point is irrelevant. This a little fun goes on. Viewers can understand. I'm merely calling into question your claim that all of this is settled that, the well, that we know precisely what is happening and why, and that anyone who asks pointed questions about it is a denier and ought to be imprisoned or shouted off the stage. No, that was your word. That's you guys. That's not my. That's not my claim. And I really. That's not my claim. Tucker Carlson said, y "You, Bill Nye, are the guy who said anybody who denies what we're telling." Anyone who dares to challenge our theory on climate change is a denier and needs to be shouted down or, or put in jail. And he says, no, no, that's your word. That's it, you guys. That's not my claim. Oh, really, Bill? Would you, like me to, would, would you like me to read your quote? That people who disagree with you ought to potentially go to jail? You said that. Okay. And I'm just saying, isn't, I'm not isn't sure that's exactly what I baked said, into Mr. Carson. We can talk about that shortly, but... Is it Under, appropriate to jail the guys from Enron? Was it appropriate to jail the people of the cigarette industry who promised it wasn't addictive, et cetera? Okay. You're, look, my only point is, shouldn't we be encouraging people to ask honest questions, which I am doing, and you don't seem to have the answers to those questions. Okay. He doesn't. He absolutely doesn't. Game, set, match. Tucker Carlson. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Can I just make a request? Can I just, can we, can we as a, a community here, a production organization for this show, especially on Saturday mornings, can we not have promos talking about pumping Jeffy's stomach? 
run while people might be having breakfast? Can we just please, for the love of all that is holy and, and decent, can we not talk about pumping Jeffy's stomach? Much less having children do it. It's just, it's just, it's just wrong on so many levels. Before we went away, we, we've been talking this hour about many things. And yeah, the world is still there and it's, uh, there are some parts of it on fire. We'll get to that. But we're talking about this chunk of ice that CNN is absolutely freaking out with. The chunk of ice on the Larson ice shelf that's about to fall off and, and what it means. And, uh, you know, I've got some, some interesting thoughts on it and I'm sharing them with you. But this audience, which again, the smartest, and actually most gracious audience I've ever run into, um, reminded me, Donna reminded me, that Frederick Tudor of Boston pondered iceberg harvesting and made money in the ice business. Not only did Frederick Tudor do this, Frederick Tudor did it after multiple failures. Frederick Tudor, in the middle of the 1800s, an American entrepreneur, said, you know what we ought to do? We should take all of this ice in these ponds. We could, we could get giant chunks of ice and put it on a boat and ship it down to the, the Caribbean where people don't have ice. Remember, refrigeration, not exactly a thing in the early part of the 1800s. So we got a bunch of folks to cut up some of Walden's pond and put it on a boat. And they, they lost money the first couple of times. He even ended up uh, in, in what they call debtor's prison. But he's a guy who persisted. And ultimately, Frederick Tudor became known as the Ice King. He, he pioneered new ways to cut the ice and put it on ships and take it to places all around the world, not just to the Mediterranean, not, or not uh, to the Caribbean, not just to places in Cuba. But he took it everywhere. And his technique of harvesting the ice made it possible to bring natural ice all over the world. Suddenly, ice was a thing. Like cotton. He died a millionaire at the age of 80 in 1864. He also, if you've ever seen what's known as... Um, Canton, China. If you've seen Canton, China, it's a, a frequently a blue and white. It's not flow blue China. It's blue and white patterns. Canton, China. Canton, China exists because of people like Frederick Tudor and Freddie Tudor who, who pioneered trading ice in China. They would take ships of ice just like they took them to different places in, in the world. They took ships of ice to China. And when they got to China with the ice, they sold it, but had nothing to bring, nothing, no ballast to bring back the ship. It would have been a difficult voyage. So the Chinese gave them all this pottery. And it, at the time, it wasn't that valuable. Nobody really cared about it. It was basic pottery. It's now known as Canton, China. Look up the cost of Canton, China. The Tudor family had one of the best collections of Canton, China in this country. Some of the serving dishes are worth 
thousands of dollars. The Tudor family also gave us Frederick's granddaughter, Tasha Tudor, the most prolific painter of children's art in American history. And I think she might be the most prolific illustrator in American history. Tasha's gone now, but I actually worked with Tasha Tudor. Tasha showed us her Canton collection and told us the stories of her grandfather bringing ice to China and having no ballast to bring back other than this cheap pottery that became worth another fortune. There's more to this and we'll cover it all. Come on back. Pure Opelka with Michael Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, Saturday. I see you. That's right, Saturday. I know you're there. Yes, it is Saturday morning. We are here on the Blaze Radio Network. We always kick off Saturdays here on the Blaze Radio Network with Pure Opelka. I'm happy you're here. The first hour of the show, we... We got off on a tangent about the environment that drifted into a story about an amazing entrepreneur. And isn't that how conversations go? So join the conversation, won't you? Uh, you can do it on the phones if you're up and about. Uh, don't call if you're driving or if you are driving, pull over. So many of our truckers listen and I appreciate you. Uh, the number triple eight nine hundred three three nine three triple eight nine zero zero three three nine three. Twitter at StuntBrain. I don't have a, a vital question of the day. I might. There might be one coming up. But we were talking about the the situation with this giant chunk of ice at the Larson Ice Shelf that's about to crack off. It's the size of the state of Delaware, and it led me to looking into what happens if it all melts at once. And the answer is nothing, Re really nothing. It's not going to happen. Nothing big is going to happen because it is uh, basically, they say it's the same volume of water as Lake Michigan, which in comparison to the entire water on the face of the earth and the oceans, it's 0.000000369%. So that's what it would add to the ocean's volume. Point zero 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 three six nine percent there you go so nothing it's it's going to do nothing it, it'll come up two more grains of sand <laughs> and that's only when completely melted just a thought but in the course of that we started talking about because donna said uh what about what about the guy who in boston years ago in the middle of the 19th century, in the 1800s, said, hey, why don't we take some of this ice and, um, and see if we can sell it to people in other parts of the world. There was not refrigeration. We didn't have ice machines, etc. And that entrepreneur was a guy named Tudor, Mr. Tudor. And he became known as the Ice King because he, he took a, a few 
attempts, Frederick Tudor did, at bringing ice to places in the Caribbean and tried to get it to Cuba, eventually ended up actually getting it all the way to Calcutta, where ice was, was viewed as a miracle. And suddenly it was the must-have thing. And Frederick Tudor's dream of bringing ice created innovation in so many different fields and created marketplaces. And this is the beauty of capitalism. This is why I am an unfettered, unstoppable supporter of capitalism and allowing the individual to try and, and follow a dream and create something that makes all of our lives better. Frederick Tudor died a millionaire. His family was well taken care of. But that's not what this is about. It's about everything else that came out of Frederick Tudor's dream that he chased, that he ended up in debtor's prison over, that he ended up failing and then trying and failing and trying until he ultimately succeeded. And in the course of that, succeeding to bring ice to people in other parts of the world, ice to people who didn't have winters like they have in Boston, ice to people who just wanted to have something cool. They discovered a new way to harvest it. So they created machinery to harvest the ice, which created another set of jobs. And it also created, let's face it, capitalism creates relationships between nations. Trade creates friendships and competition as well. And in bringing the ice to Calcutta, he opened a door. In bringing the ice to China, he opened a door. He also, on the return, brought back the Canton China that we talked about earlier and uh, started a, an, entire, an entire marketplace that exists today. And it was, let's face it, uh, the, the, um, the Canton China that Frederick Tudor and others brought back was ballast, ballast for their boats, basically considered junk. But it became so, it is so collectible right now. If you want proof, go on eBay and put in Canton China. Just know that there is a lot of fake Canton China out there. The Chinese, who were great at making the Canton China back in the middle of the 18th century, are also geniuses in the 20th and 21st century in making fake stuff. So you have to be sure of the pedigree. Don't get caught up paying a lot of money for fakes. Uh, educate yourself. There are a lot of ways you can tell if something is fake or not. And in the course of the discussion... Uh, we, we were um, having a Twitter chat between some of the friends and our buddy Microaggressor said all of this talk about the ice and, and the, the 18th, the middle of the 19th century in the 1860s reminded uh, Microaggressor of the story of Rags and Old Iron Man and the Ice Man that his dad used to, uh, that my dad used to tell me, it says. Now, in, in the in the um, in the microaggressor story, she shares with us. Uh, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, and we had alleys that ran behind our home. 
and the alleyway was not a place really where you parked a car. Most of the garages that were at the houses and or apartment houses, they were usually one and two family homes in our neighborhood. Most of those alleys did not have garages that exited out to the alley. You would go out in the alley because that's where delivery and garbage was handled. In other words, the garbage trucks would come down the alley and pick up the trash. That's why you never saw trash out in the front of the streets in Chicago. The difference between New York City and Chicago, my dad told me, alleys. The way they laid it out, Chicago was a little better at thinking and planning. And that uh, the infrastructure could be serviced better through alleyways. And we used to have come by once a week, sometimes twice a week, a vegetable truck. Basically a box truck with a set of steps up into it and a couple of hanging scales. And inside there was produce. And that's how you bought your produce in the 60s. You would go and climb into the back of the vegetable truck. You didn't have to go to the supermarket. And that your mail would also come down that way. And your, your dairy was delivered. Yes, we had a milkman back in the 60s in Chicago before all the dates. So, uh, so many things changed. But yes, uh, we're, we're drifting off course today. I know that. I'm sorry. I just got caught up in this. And it all started because a giant chunk of ice is falling off a piece in the Antarctic, a giant chunk of ice. It's a, it's a way that we get to places. This morning, this morning I'm, I'm keeping an eye on what's going on overseas because there are meetings today. The president is scheduled to meet with uh, President Xi of China. And this is important. Why? Well, mostly it's important because of North Korea. North Korea, for the last day, has been doing a rather public celebration of its, uh, of its successful launch last week. Last, as a matter of fact, it was 4th of July. They gave us the present, remember? The basket of presents is coming. Uh, North Korea is celebrating their missile program, which tells me possibly one of two things. Maybe they don't have any other missiles. Maybe they don't, and this is all bluster. The conventional wisdom would make you think they've got more than, than that one, and we should be seeing another one coming up soon. But I, I think today's meeting with President Xi of China is going to be very important to uh, where we go in the future with North Korea. A bit later in the show, I want to play you something from uh, my senator, one of my senators here, Senator um, Coons of Delaware, Chris Coons, seems to be advocating for serious action against North Korea. And I don't know if I, I'm surprised. Uh, Senator Coons is a guy who's very liberal in most, most of his uh, social thinking, but I also think he's very wise on foreign affairs. He's a guy who takes a really interesting look at things. He's a guy who has a perspective, a very humane perspective on people in other parts of the world. And he, and he has paid visits to other parts of the world where he has, um, he has said that our, our attention to other humans needs to be greater and our help to other humans needs to be greater. It's a very, 
a very um, humane approach. But to see Senator Coons talking about North Korea and the nuclear threat in the, in the terms that he used, I wonder if he's advocating for a first strike to take out their capabilities. We will see. We'll get to his thoughts. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to step away and try and cue that up. I also have for you, uh, I have for you um, some new Maxine Waters madness. There's new Maxine Waters madness out there, and um, it's it's pretty silly. And Chris Matthews, he is so obsessed with Donald Trump that he reached a new level, and I don't mean a new high. I think it's a new low. It is maybe, he said a lot of weird things about Trump. And last night, I think he said one of the weirdest. So uh, I'll tee that up for you as well. Michael Pelka on Pure Opelka. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Just uh, looking at a bunch of different things during the break. And uh, I know this is a weird thing to say, but I'm going to say it. I'm very glad we have a president who doesn't drink and hasn't ever been a drinker. Because you know at these, these events, like these G20 events, there's always an after party. And... Uh, I feel pretty good that we have a president who's got a clear head the morning after the dinner because you know they were they were serving the they were pouring good wine last night in Hamburg or or pouring some pretty good beer but uh they they probably had a good time and I'm just happy the president is not a drinker just saying I'm just putting that out there before we went away, I was talking about the fact that the president of the United States will meet with President Xi of China today. And this is on the heels of his very long meeting, his two hour and 16 minute meeting with Vladimir Putin, a meeting that needed to be interrupted so everybody could get to the dinner. They actually sent Melania in to basically say, Donald, we need to go to dinner. Uh, and then try and warn them that they had, they were holding everybody else up, which I think is pretty funny. Send the wife in. Uh, Donald, we are late. Pretty funny. But um, but on the heels of the, the meeting with Putin, which we are told from Secretary Tillerson that the subject of Russian meddling was approached more than once, that Putin didn't agree that they had meddled, but Trump did push it. So we knew that was going to happen. Big shock. What did you think? Vladimir Putin was going to go in and go, I'm so sorry. I know we meddled. Please don't get mad at us. Please, we'll never do it again. No, that was never going to happen. He's a, he's a former KGB head. 
He's just going to say, did not happen. Uh, nothing of this kind happened. So who knows what they talked about for two hours. We'll get into it. Uh, and Maxine Waters has some really interesting things to say about this. Some crazy things to say about that. But I was talking about North Korea. And my Senator Chris Coons, and, and this clip, this first clip is actually on The Blaze with uh, Chris Coons appearing with Jake Tapper. And apparently he was at CNN all day yesterday because I have another clip from yet another CNN show. But talking with Jake Tapper, this was a, a very interesting discussion about North Korea, the recent missile test, and what that missile test means to us. It's kind of long. I will, um, I'll give you the, um, the latest here as, as we get the update back to you now so bottom u.s do anything at all to prevent a nuclear capable north korea well pamela both secretary tillerson and president trump have said publicly they intend to follow diplomacy first that they're trying uh, to mobilize a world effort uh, and some of the things that have been done in the united nations at the g20 suggest that some of our key allies also see it the same way that they're willing to support tougher sanctions on north korea the key country here is china this is china's problem because this is destabilizing the Korean Peninsula, it's destabilizing the region, but China hasn't yet taken tough enough actions to actually impose some costs on North Korea for its destabilizing action. My main question is if we're pursuing diplomacy first, and this is one of our most important national security questions, then why is President Trump advancing a budget that would cut the State Department by almost a third? That seems to me like we're unilaterally disarming our most important tool or weapon in a diplomatic effort against North Korea. This is one of my big arguments with the senator. I always tell him we spend too much as a country. We spend too much. The government spends too much on, on dumb things. And not that the State Department is dumb, but government is bloated. Uh, case in point, the, the White House staff... The White House staff has fewer people than Barack Obama hired. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to save $5 million a year in taxpayer money just because we don't have a bloated White House staff. And I do think they're getting the job done in the White House. I don't think you need the people hanging out of the windows. You've stuffed the staff so full. And the other item, even though we're saving $5 million, the average salary of the Trump White House is $16,000 more, this is according to NPR, than the Obama White House. So Donald Trump has already achieved the increase in pay. Remember, uh, the middle class just isn't getting enough money. They haven't had a pay increase in 20 years. Well, guess what? The Trump White House is doing it with fewer people, saving money, and still paying the staff more. There's a lesson to be learned there. Uh, Chris Coons goes on to talk about the missile, and I think this is when it gets interesting. Diplomacy, you mentioned China is key in all of this, but if China hasn't done enough up to this point, why are you confident that it, it could? I'm not confident. In fact, I'm not even optimistic. Um, I'm concerned that China is um, balancing their concern that if the North Korean regime collapses, they'll have a humanitarian crisis on the border uh, and lose a key ally versus their concern that the rest of the world will coalesce around making them pay a high price. Um, I think we're in a race against time and frankly, a race that we may well lose. We may be facing a North Korean nuclear armed country 
um, that has an ICBM capable of hitting the United States within two years, we don't have a lot of time. That's why we need to focus on the diplomatic effort and we need presidential leadership that engages all of our allies around the world. This is not the time for President Trump to be undermining NATO or the EU or the G20 or our partnerships uh, with the rest of the world. So you think with now, interesting point here. Donald Trump affirmed our commitment to uh, NATO, affirmed Article 5. Donald Trump met with Vladimir Putin. Donald Trump is meeting with uh, President Xi. And all of this was known before this interview, Senator. What I have problems with is the interviewer not asking the question, do you think we need a first strike? What do you think we can do? It's a race we may well lose. What do you want done, sir? We'll get into this more after the break. Come on back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Phones are open. Martin's uh, manning the phones this morning. Corby's pushing the buttons. And I'm here on the mic on Pure Opelka Saturdays on the Blaze Radio Network, kicking off all new programming every weekend. Jeff Fisher and the Jeff Fisher program follows this show. I have no idea what Jeffy's up to today. But I'm betting. I, I placed this bet yesterday. I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. But I'm betting Jeffy does the story about the naked woman who was mad because the car she bought broke down. So, of course, she took her clothes off. That's the way you protest. And you go to the house of the guy who owns the car dealership. Yeah, that's the logical way, right? Sure. We were talking about Senator Chris Coons, who was on CNN yesterday. I mistakenly said he was on Jake Tapper. And then on a later show, uh, Tapper was out and they had this woman filling in for him. And I was taking exception with some of the ways the, um, the interviewer was not following up on questions to me that seemed obvious. For example... When Senator Coons talks about the fact that we're in dire straits with North Korea, a nation that has nuclear weapons and now has missiles that can reach the United States, that it might be too late, my question would be, what, are you advocating for a first strike? What are you talking about? Because if, it's, if you're saying it's, it's almost too late, then I really think it is incumbent upon you to prevent it if you're there to protect the United States. The topic instead shifted to Russia and the discussion of Vladimir Putin and what the Russians did. And, and there's a couple of interesting things that happen in this discussion. And I think Vladimir Putin will only stop when we stop him and he will only stop when he and his nation pay a significant price. Meddling directly in the American presidential election goes at the very heart of what it means to be a democracy. 
Remember what they've done recently, invaded and occupied a portion of a neighboring country, Ukraine, where we had guaranteed in writing mm -hmm. in an agreement their territorial sovereignty. That was done under President Obama, who did nothing. Taking the side of Bashar al-Assad, a murderous leader of the Syrian regime and military, where Russia intervened and really has prevented his collapse, even when the United States had committed to his removal from power. And did nothing under President Obama interfering directly in our elections. They don't share our priorities. They don't share our values. They've attempted to undermine NATO, distance the United States from mm -hmm. its key North Atlantic allies, and to affect our elections. We need to take tougher action. All of that was done under Barack Obama. Interesting, right? Very interesting. All of those things that Senator Coons brought up under Barack Obama. And you have to wonder, you have to wonder, could there have been more done? Could President Obama have done more for action? But what about during the Obama administration? Because the argument has been made that the Obama administration didn't do enough. I would agree with that. I'd frankly say um, that the Obama administration, in an abundance of caution, didn't act more decisively right before the election out of a concern it would be perceived as partisan. But the Wait a minute. Is Chris Coons agreeing with me? Is Chris Coons actually agreeing with me? Did he say the Obama administration did not do enough? Uh, let's hear that again. I would agree with that. I'd frankly say um, that the Obama administration, in an abundance of caution, didn't act more decisively right before the election out of a concern it would be perceived as partisan. But the Obama administration did take strong steps to make sure that the intelligence community was focused on this threat produced uh, a broad consensus report and that that was shared both with leaders in Congress uh, and with the incoming Trump administration. Let me just it's wait, 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 wait. So we were faced with an attack on our democracy that the president knew about in the summer and basically did nothing but made sure there was a report. That th this is why strength if, if the Republicans really want to maintain control of everything, arguing that you will be stronger when it comes to protecting America, Americans, our elections, our Constitution, our freedom, our capitalism, that will always win with the real people in America. That will always win with clear-thinking people who understand the benefits of liberty and freedom. It will always win. And all you have to do is point out the things that Senator Coons has said here. That Barack Obama stood by and let stuff happen out of an overabundance of caution because he didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And th that is at the core of the liberal philosophy. We can win. And we can, we can, I'm going to use the expression, and I'm not the guy who's flying Trump flags, we can make America great again if we apply the simple principles of protect, protect America, protect Americans, protect our freedoms, protect the Constitution, protect the future, the chance for all of us to thrive and, and, and have a great tomorrow if we just follow the playbook. I'm so glad he brought this up. However... I will take exception with the senator at the very end of this. He manages to throw shade on the Trump administration. Why, listen, I'll, I'll wind it back a few seconds.
steps to make sure that the intelligence community was focused on this threat, produced uh, a broad consensus report, and that that was shared both with leaders in Congress uh, and with the incoming Trump administration. Let me just it's ask the Trump administration that hasn't taken the steps that were needed to follow up on that intelligence. It's the Trump administration that hasn't taken the steps needed to follow up on that? The report, the eyes only report that the Russians were screwing with our elections was given to the president sometime between July and early August. It could not have been a more pressing issue ahead, well ahead of the election. The president of the United States, Barack Obama, did nothing. Did nothing until almost two months after the election on December 29th. What did he do? Oh, he kicked 35 Russian spies out of the country. And he confiscated the compound in Maryland where they had apparently set up their, their camp here in the United States. Barack Obama knew about all of this, all of this, in the summer before the election. He chose to do nothing. And I don't think he chose to do nothing just because he believed Hillary Clinton was winning and it would be seen as uh, partisan politics as getting involved in it. Because, see, I think that if Barack Obama had stood up and said, America, I've just been told by our intelligence agencies that the Russians are meddling. This is all Russia. And uh, we need to protect our election. We need to keep our country safe. And therefore, I'm taking some extreme steps. I'm kicking all of the Russians out. I'm closing the Russian embassy until such time as they can prove to us that they are not meddling in our elections. Do you not think that would have been a brilliant move that would have secured a massive shift in the election? It would have, it would have turned Hillary Clinton into a 90-point leader. She would, have, she would have won 90 to 10. I know so many people who would have said, you know what, he's right, she's going to be tougher, and she's got the experience. And these Russians, well, you know, it's time to trust the Democrats. But he did nothing. He did exactly what he did when he set a red line in Syria and then stood by and did nothing. He did exactly what he did uh, when Ukraine was invaded, a country that we convinced to give up its nuclear arms because we promised them we would protect them if anyone invaded. And he did nothing. Now, for Chris Coons to blame the Trump administration, or to say the Trump administration has done nothing, I think is disingenuous. I think it's not honest. And, and also, it, it's, it's really not fair. Five months the guy's been in office. Your guy had eight years. Your guy had more time between the report of the meddling of the elections and the election. And he did nothing. Nothing. It's inexcusable. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. A lot going on and a lot more to cover. I have some dumb stories that I need to get to today if if the story of the uh, ice shelf thing wasn't dumb enough. But I have plenty of dumb stories. I saw something on uh, IJ Review, um, Independent Journal Review, today and and I, I i love this i love it when we call the progressives on their bravo sierra this a-list celebrity called donald trump's travel ban quote massively stupid this a-list celebrity called the president quote a xenophobic fascist and said the u.s is not doing enough to help with the refugees. This A-list celebrity, this this mega A-list celebrity, red carpet regular, is pushing for an open-door policy, quote, open-door policy, close quote, for all refugees wanting to come to America, similar to what Germany has now. Well, that's what this A-list celebrity was saying before before migrants set up a camp pretty close pretty close to his 10 million dollar mansion and now that now that those filthy migrants have set up camp on Lake Como close to George Clooney's mansion and they're dumping their trash all over the area George is not pleased Rumor has that George is selling the mansion. The George who just made, uh, I think it was $230 plus million when he sold his tequila company that he and Randy Gerber started a few years ago. George Clooney wants to get out now. He and his wife Amal and their kids have a pretty, pretty comfortable life, right? They had the beautiful mansion on Lake Como, the $10 million mansion. Well, apparently, he's not so keen. It's, it's known as NIMBY. This is NIMBY. Not in my backyard. George NIMBY Clooney gets the NIMBY Award today as uh, he and his neighbors at Lake Como are faced with migrants, those filthy migrants. According to the IJ Review story, hundreds, hundreds of migrants have set up camp on Lake Como, close to his mansion. His neighbors, the, the Clooney's aren't, aren't uh, commenting publicly, but we hear things about the Clooney's leaving the area and wanting to come back to the States and being in a more secure environment. His neighbors are not keen on it, and they've been telling the local, local press things like this. A, re a restaurant owner, Maria Grazia, said, I don't want them here. Italy has enough problems without trying to solve the problems of the world. Italy should not have to deal with these people on our own. The EU does nothing to help us, and now they make us, me and my family and other Italian families, pay for them. 
Frederica, a housewife in the area, said a small number of immigrants is not a problem, but now there are so many. You see them arriving at the station. They are not, they are not poor, hungry refugees. They are big and strong. People here in Como don't like them. There are simply too many. A chauffeur said, it's good Switzerland closed the border to the migrants, but it's bad for Italy. We simply don't have the resources to deal with all these new people. You could put these statements in any one of the countries that is now being overrun by unvetted refugees. Another celebrity juxtaprogressive in George Clooney. The guy who pushed for the open door policy. The guy who said the U.S. is not doing enough to alleviate the crisis in Syria. Yeah, George Clooney. Germany has already realized they have a higher rate of sexual assault. Sweden had to cancel a music festival. Why? Well, they were worried that women would be assaulted at such a rate that they wouldn't be able to handle it. The numbers of rapes and sexual assaults have spiked since, since what? Oh, since these immigrant groups, these refugees, these unvetted refugees were allowed in because of the open border policy of the EU. I'm not anti-refugee. I think we should help where we can. I just don't want to be the guy with the stupid stamp on his forehead. George Clooney? Did you get the stamp? Just checking. We'll be right back. Pure Opelka with Michael Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is the third hour of Saturday morning on the Blaze Radio Network. This is a whole new day and a whole new show. And it's officially now, as it is every Saturday at this time, it is the pre pre show for the Jeff Fisher program that follows immediately at 9 a.m. Eastern until noon, and then the Lawrence Billy Jones show will follow, and then Chris Slater and Joe Pags. It's the whole Saturday lineup. Are you taking us with you? Do you have the iHeartRadio app installed? Because then you can listen to The Blaze all the time, anytime, anywhere. It's a good idea. Go ahead, do it. I double-dog dare you. Big news this week in technology. There was big news this week in automotive technology as uh, Volvo announced that they were going to change their entire fleet by 2019 to be all electric. Well, a couple of hybrids in there. But the, the Volvo Motor Company has decided, the Swedes have decided that going forward, that the internal combustion engine, 
just uh, gasoline or, or diesel engines, they're doomed. They're not going to they're not going to make them. They're going to go all electric. And then, like I said, a couple of hybrids. We were having a discussion this week off air. I have a friend who happens to be very deep in the world of automotive uh, companies. He's he's a dealer. He's a guy who knows the business inside out. And his first reaction was laughter. And I said, what, what do you mean laughter? Why are you laughing at this? He goes, this is a great idea. But guess what? Uh, you start You start making enough cars that you're going to have so many uh, electric cars on the road, you better move pretty damn quick to get charging stations put everywhere. Currently, Tesla has superchargers uh, that you, you're allowed to, if you've, you've bought a Tesla S, and I think the Tesla X, that's the SUV with the gold wing back doors. If you have one of those cars, you're allowed to use the Tesla superchargers and their network of superchargers across the country. And I think they charge your car in an hour. So if, you, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford a Tesla, which maybe I'll be getting one soon, uh, you can drive your Tesla from coast to coast using the Tesla network superchargers for nothing. And um, you just have to plan your meals around it. See, if, you, if you've got like a 300-mile range and you're driving your Tesla at 60 miles an hour, then every five hours you're going to have to stop and charge up. And you have to spend an hour, whereas pumping gas is a lot, a lot less time-consuming. So it's going to create a dilemma because now if, if you pull up to a Tesla supercharger or even in one of the municipal areas where there's a, a charger and somebody else beats you to it, you've got to wait now, don't you? And what, you know, time is of the essence to all of us. So adding another, another few hundred thousand vehicles into the, into the mix could be a problem. It could be a strain on the system. So there is an opportunity here, though, I see, for somebody to come up with a way to create a network of superchargers. And what I, I think is probably the best thing to do is to look at, at creating a, um, a conversion system to take old gas stations and put them as supercharger stations. And, you know, somebody's working on the battery technology, too, to shrink it. Tesla, I believe, is working on a rapid battery exchange terminal where you pull in, you drop out the old battery and slide in a new one. Kind of the way we look at propane. If you go to a, a big box hardware store like Home Depot or Lowe's or in, in many places here, 7-Elevens have the cages outside that hold 10, 20, 30 different preloaded propane tanks. And you go up and you bring the empty and take a new one and you just pay for the propane once you've put the deposit on the tank. The same could be true of the battery technology if they get the batteries into swap out size. But right now, those batteries are a huge weight. And in the case of Tesla, I believe they are underneath the body of the car, which adds to the, um, the lowering of of the center of gravity on Tesla and helps greatly with its drivability. But back to Volvo. 
The Volvo decision to switch its its fleet of cars to all electric or electric with a couple of hybrids is one that I think is based both in popular environmental theory and economics. And I know what you're saying. It can't be economics, Mike, because to retrofit a dealership is going to cost a lot of money. My buddy told me he's talked to people at Chevy dealerships and the new Chevy Bolt, which is uh, just coming out now. It's like an SUV that's all electric. It's the follow-up to the Volt. The Bolt. Supposed to be a pretty good car, but it's got a 200-mile range. And uh, you have to be able to charge it. But to service the Bolt, every Chevy dealership in the country is going to have to purchase a whole bunch of expensive tools. Let's just put it that way. The baseline tool package starts at about $14,000. And on top of that, very few dealers are going to be getting the Bolts because we know the problem that Chevy had with the Volt. They didn't sell enough of them. So the Bolt's coming out, and uh, I know dealerships here, Chevy dealerships here, that are getting two of them. And yet they're going to have to put up thousands of dollars to have tools to service it. And if you're a Chevy dealer, and someone drives across the country and has a problem with their Bolt, and you don't have the tools, do you think that's going to going to make great confidence in the minds of the consumer? No. Back to Volvo. Volvo will now have to retrofit or refit every one of its dealerships to handle this new fleet of electric vehicles. And still dealing with the hundreds of thousands of old Volvos still on the road that have internal combustion engines. The cost is massive. But I kept going back to why. Why, why, why? Why now, Volvo? Why now? It's not exactly a company that, that's on the cutting edge of automobile evolution. It's not a, a company that does all these new and innovative things aside from safety. And I think it has to do with China. China's investment in Volvo is quite substantial. And China wants to get gasoline engines off the streets of its cities quickly. Why? Because of the air pollution problem. So I, I point all of this back to not Sweden and not Volvo as, as a major innovator. I point all of this back to the biggest investor in, in the company. And that is, this goes all the way back to the same thinking we had with Mercedes-Benz. Why is the Mercedes-Benz called the Mercedes-Benz? Because the guy who wanted to make the biggest investment in the company over a hundred years ago had a daughter named Mercedes. China is driving the shift in Volvo from internal combustion engines to all electric cars because they want their nation to be the first nation that has all these electric cars. And they're also doing it because their air stinks. Now, where are you getting the power? Does anyone remember where we get electric power for all these electric cars and the homes? 
Yeah, coal-fired power plants, pretty much most of it will happen that way. So China's still going to be burning coal to make the electricity They'll just that uh, will power the battery-powered Volvos and Teslas and Bolts that will be on the streets all around China. But they'll be taking the gasoline engine emissions out of the air. It's an interesting little journey, isn't it? But follow, follow the money always. At the heart of this decision for Volvo isn't necessarily a belief that the rest of the world is going to demand that they get a, an electric car before 2020. But it appears to be China's need to clean up its own air and China being the biggest investor needing to get their hands on more electric cars so you can pretty much make Volvo your exclusive outlet. We'll see if Chevy gets the same pressure from China moving forward. Be an interesting one to watch. Just a little strange sidebar on a day filled with strange sidebars on Pure Opelka. When we get back, I want to get into socialized medicine again, but I want to get into it from the point of uh, common sense. And there are more examples of, of why socialized medicine is the worst thing in the world for people when it comes to care. And it's the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, I know we talked about Charlie Gard. And there's some news on Charlie Gard as well that we'll have to talk about. This is, this is factual proof of why socialized medicine is a gigantic waste of time, money, and a stupid thing for us to even consider. Single payer? No, thank you. But you want proof? You want examples? You want uh, signs of waste and, and abuse of the system? I'll explain next on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Just have uh, a ton of stories to get to. I don't know if I'll get to all of them, but I know I have to get to Maxine Waters before we get out of here. And uh, I talked, I teased the, the discussion of single-payer healthcare and the stupidity behind it. As I'm trying to watch everything that's going on overseas, and not much has changed since last night until today, so... Uh, no real updates, lots of panels on those TV shows, but no real updates. But as I'm going through, combing through the news, I see one of the British papers has a story that says, quote, a million patients a week cannot see a GP, which means general practitioner. And this relates to the National Health Service that England has, the horrible National Health Service. We've seen it in the news lately because the Charlie Gard story, the terrible story of the baby, the 10-month-old with the, with the terrible mitochondrial problem, and the parents want to bring the child to America for a, for a long shot, but they'll pay for it. But no, because the National Health Service knows better than parents 
they're, they're going to stop that. Well, there's some breakthrough on that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But this story, a million patients a week, and England doesn't have the number of people we have, but even in their great system, oh, we have great health care here. Almost one million patients a week are now unable to get appointments with a doctor. This is the worst waiting times on records, according to the figures they keep. Doctors say they're working as, as hard as they can, but it's, it's unsustainable pressure. And they're, they're being forced to limit the time they spend with patients. Oh, that's got to be great care when you're told, spend less time. Most people have to wait at least a week to see a general practitioner. Can you imagine if you have an issue? One in five unable to get an appointment. 56% say they now have to wait at least a week. This is a huge spike since just 2012. It's up over 25%. This is amazing. Patients are struggling even to get through on the phone, they say. Patients groups are now starting to fight. They, they are saying that's worsening. The family doctors are, are having to spend less time. Their health is deteriorating. The patient's health is deteriorating. So what's the problem here? Well, the problem here is single-payer health care, government-controlled health care doesn't work. And you have evidence of it statistically right there from England. And their system is nowhere near the size of our system. So you can only imagine that all of these people, the Bernie Sanders and others who are calling for single pay, sing, we must have single payer in America. We have to have single payer. It's the only way to be fair, to be equitable. But I'll be able to afford my own private doctor because I'm now part of the 1%, the millionaires and billionaires. Single payer doesn't work. And part of it is because it's government run. And the government then is forced to be politically correct. And by being politically correct, I mean they're, they are spending resources in areas that, that are wasting resources that could be used to help these families and the average person who can't even get to see a general practitioner. And what the hell am I talking about? Well, it's all the rage, all the breaking news out of England today that a 21-year-old British man has made history. Yes, this is the headline. 21-year-old British man makes history by giving birth to a baby girl. Wait, what? Man has baby, reads headline. British man, 21, makes history by giving birth to baby girl. Oh, that's, how does that, how does that work? 21-year-old man has baby, gives birth to baby. Well, we know it's not a man. We know it's someone that has a, a, a uterus and a womb and, and uh, even breasts. This person who identifies as a man, a 21-year-old person named Hayden Cross, had a cesarean section in mid-June and gave birth to a child named Trinity Lee. And now says, I want to be the best dad ever. What? Yeah. We have someone who, since the age of 18, has been on 
a path to change their gender, identifying as a man, but maintaining all of their parts, partially because this person wanted to give birth. And the, the health program in England supports all this and pays for all of this. The cost of gender reassignment is about 29,000 pounds per patient, including support and surgery. So this, this person decided they wanted to change gender, but also wanted to have a baby. So the National Health Service was forced to freeze some of this person's eggs in another expensive process. So they might be able to harvest those eggs later and have children years later. Really? At least the health chiefs said, hold on, we're not going to freeze those eggs. But they went on paying for the transitioning treatments. In September, this person, this person who identifies as a man who was born as a woman, decided that it was time to get pregnant and did what everybody else would do, right? Go to a sperm bank. No, they looked on the internet, joined a Facebook group for sperm donors and found one. Now, thankfully, Facebook has shut down this group. But the guy came to the house, passed me the sperm in a pot, and I did it via syringe, says Hayden Cross. This insanity continues. I'll share the rest of it after the break. But you wonder why single-payer doesn't work? What are you spending money on, England? It's not regular people and general care. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. I do love this audience uh, talking about this situation about why why the uh, single payer is such a disaster and and why it's so disturbing to me to see that over a million people a week cannot get uh, even an appointment with the general practitioner. And it's because the National Health Service in England is spending money and time on the wrong things. For example, this, this person who was born a woman identifies as a man and has now spent the last several years trying to transition, but also decided she wanted to have a baby. And I use the word she because, yes, women have babies. Mentally... This person sees themselves as a man. Physically, they are a woman with all of the parts. <sighs> Quoted as saying, I was finally starting to become myself and become a man physically, but now my body is going in the opposite direction. Yes, that's what happens when you have a baby. That's what happens when you get pregnant. 
Do we not understand that this is messed up? Is that the best way I can say it on the radio? I, I feel for little Tiffany Lee, who's going to be brought up in this house of confusion. It's just going to be insane. Now, we, we do have a person here in America, Thomas Beatty, who also sports a beard and mustache and has a vagina and a womb and gave birth. But to my knowledge, we didn't pay for Thomas Beatty. But in England, they are. In England, they're paying for all of this. It's $30,000 or 30,000 pounds in cost to the government for a female to transition to a male in England. There are, treat, there are hormone suppressors, there are pills, there are surgeries, etc. It's, it's, it's a, a wonder how the government can look in the eyes of someone who's waiting to get to a doctor and say, no, I'm sorry, we have to deliver a vaginoplasty to someone who wants to transition before you can see a doctor and make sure that your general health is okay. It's, it's stunning, isn't it? What are we accepting? When are we standing up and going, hold on a second. Yes, we know that this person doesn't see themselves as the body they were born in, but we're going to pour tens of thousands of dollars into physically changing them. Oh, but wait, they want to have a baby now. So we're going to put that on hold for a while so the national health system can support this and pay for the cesarean because, yes, that had to happen too. Oh, and by the way, because, because this person had this baby, got pregnant, had the baby, guess what else happened? The breasts developed and were holding the milk for the child. Doesn't want to have, uh, doesn't want to breastfeed. The little baby won't be breastfed because this person hates the breasts, doesn't like them. Talk about denying science. What are we doing? Seriously, what are we doing? I'll tweet out a link to the story. You can tell me if I'm being insensitive. But I look at all the times that we hear from the socialists, all the times that we hear from the progressives. We have to do things for the children. We have to do things for the greater good. You have a million people a week who cannot get to a doctor at the National Health Sister Service in England because you're making sure you delay a woman's transition to a man so you can pay for that person's dream to have a baby and be a good dad. Anyone tell me on what planet and what universe in what society is that sane? It's not. This comes from the same National Health Service that told parents they couldn't have their child back to go and try one last miracle cure even though the parents had paid for it, they had raised the money to do it.
So tell me once again, anytime you run into one of your liberal friends, and I know, I hope to God you have liberal friends who are crowing about, sing, we have to do single payer. It's the only way. No, it's not the only way. It is the road to the end of great health care in America. And we are already about a quarter of the way down that road, if you ask me, and, and we're moving faster every day. More stories like this will come up. More stories what like this will happen unless we as a people say enough. Enough is enough. But, but we're not unless we're brave enough to say there are two genders and then there is the one that is scientifically accepted as confused. But there are two genders and then there's the one that's kind of a a statistical anomaly. But basically, let's be honest, we have two genders. That's all I'm going to say on that. While I'm on the subject of insanity and craziness, uh, maybe we should get into, maybe we should transition, if you will, into uh, Maxine Waters' territory. Maxine Waters, I know there's a story on The Blaze where she's, She's ranting and raving about something else. But Auntie Max held a town hall and uh, she went on a little bit of a Trump rampage. A little bit of a Trump rampage. I got to share it with you. Auntie Max went on to chant impeach 45, impeach 45 over and over again. And she never once gave evidence of something that could qualify as high crimes and misdemeanors. Never once. But she did talk about a revolution. A revolution. Listen. Wait, what?
We've got to resist. She wants a revolution. She wants impeachment without any evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors. But anti-Max also called out President Trump, calling him abnormal and wanting him to be checked for his sanity. Seriously. Here's a real short clip. Every time she ends uh, an appearance by saying, as my millennials have told me, stay woke, I laugh. It's just craziness. She wants Trump to be checked out to see if he's crazy. I'm guessing we can get a two-for-one deal on that examination, Anti-Max. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Oh boy, I may have done something dumb here. <laughs> oh, Keith Olbermann said something and I had to respond. And now the Obermaniacs are chasing me through the internet. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh. Keith Olbermann went after Ivanka Trump this morning saying it's outrageous, unacceptable and disqualifying in a democracy. Ludicrous. The other world leaders did not walk out in protest. This was all about Ivanka Trump showing up and talking to the G20 leaders about African migration and health and empowering women. And the left has lost its mind that Ivanka Trump. So I just asked Keith, why can't a successful businesswoman earn your respect? Do you have a problem with strong women? Apparently, the other leaders did not. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, the Obermaniacs are trolling me now. Oh, God forbid. God forbid the Obermaniacs comment to me on Twitter. I just think it's funny. I absolutely think it's funny that we can we can point out to these people that they just can't wrap their heads around a strong woman. Oh, and and a lot of women are saying she's not elected. She has not passed through a Senate confirmation. She's there talking to a bunch of world leaders and offering suggestions as a strong, successful businesswoman. (sighs) They're saying that uh, qualified individuals were dismissed and not given the chance to be there. Yeah, there's a lot of times qualified individuals don't get the job because somebody at the top likes the friend or relative of somebody else. Deal with it. 
Keith Olbermann also had problems yesterday. Keith Olbermann talking about uh, Barack, uh, not Barack Obama, talking about Vladimir Putin and President Trump in their meeting. And Olbermann's uh, bizarre, bizarre notice. Uh, he noticed something really bizarre that I don't think anybody else gave a rat's butt about, but here it is. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson said there was a very clear positive chemistry between the two men. And before they met privately, President Trump expressed optimism. Let's watch that. President Putin and I have been discussing various things and I think it's going very well. We've had some very, very good talks. Uh, we're going to have a talk now and obviously that will continue. But we look forward to a lot of very positive things happening for Russia, for the United States and for everybody concerned. And it's an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Well, note the manspreading there by the two gentlemen. Anyway, the elf manspreading. That's what you notice. That's where Chris Matthews eyes are going when he's watching the president talk to the president of Russia. Manspreading. Note it. As I get ready to get out of here, I'm looking over the words of the Dalai Lama about the paradox of our age, that we live in bigger houses and have smaller families. We have more conveniences, but seem to have less time. We have more degrees, but less sense, more knowledge, but less judgment, more experts, but more problems, more medicines, less healthiness. We've been to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet our neighbor. We have built more computers to hold more information to produce more copies than ever, but have less communication. We've become long on quantity, but short on quality. These are times of fast foods, slow digestion, tall men with short character, steep profits with shallow relationships. It's a time when there is much in the window, but nothing in the room. Let's fill the room, my friends. Let's fill the room. Testudo. Till Monday. Pure Opelka with Michael Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.